here we are after a month or so of uh, different uh, direction on Sunday morning. We come back now today to our study in uh, the book of Acts, our study through the book of Acts. And, and as we pick up, let me remind you that we are looking at Acts uh, under the theme of uh, the spirit, the church, and the world. So we're, we're looking at the advance of the gospel. That's kind of where we're putting uh, our emphasis to some degree, looking at how uh, the, the gospel began to go out from Jerusalem and it will ultimately go out to all of the nations. And, and one of the things that we've seen as we're looking at this is that from the very beginning, the gospel has been uh, met with opposition, and the only way it advances is through people pressing forward in faith and obedience. So we, we've seen that in, in the different um, passages that we've considered as we've come thus far in Acts. So we've also seen that there have been two at least at this point, two strategies employed by the devil to stop the progress of the church. And those two strategies have been persecution and corruption. So today, as we look at the passage here, we, we actually come to a third. And, and even though, you know, you might not see it right on the surface, this is another attempt by the enemy, and this time, not, not through persecution or corruption, but this time through distraction. But this is really another attempt on the part of the enemy to, to derail this thing, to, to prevent the ad advancement of the gospel. And as we see here, the, the, the temptation was to, to get the apostles preoccupied with things that they weren't really called to. And in being preoccupied with those things, they would inevitably neglect the things that they were called to. And, and if this could have you know, been something that became a pattern, it, it would have uh, slowed and maybe even eventually stopped uh, the progress. And so, what we need to know is that the devil, uh, he uses the same tactics from generation to generation. So his strategy never really changes and be, probably because it's so effective. So he, he doesn't really change his strategy much. Uh, and, and the kind of thing that he did then, he will do today. If he can't stop you serving Jesus through persecution or corruption, corruption meaning getting uh, getting us tangled up in sin, then he will try to get us distracted from our calling. And since that is the case, we need to know what our calling is, and we need to make sure that we are serving in that calling. So, you know, as we're coming into the new year, um, I, I was seeing on social media a number of different things that people were saying about, uh, you know, as people do at this time of the year. They're talking about their, their New Year's resolution. They're talking about their plans 
uh, or their strategies for you know a new life with, with a new year now before them. And one thing I saw really resonated with me. It was a tweet by uh, a person named Ann Voskamp. And it, it resonated with me because it, it's pretty much what I sensed the Lord was speaking to me. And it's kind of what we are going to be talking about today. But let me read it to you. It said this. It, so in the new year, this is, this is what it said. Know your lane. Know your Lord. Because you will live your life as well as you know your lane and know your Lord. Now, that's really what we're, we're talking about here in a sense. Because what was happening with the apostles is they were, uh, they were being pulled out of their lane. And, and what I mean by lane, if you don't understand what I'm saying, is you know, God has a path for us. God has a lane for us to, to run in. And the thing that we want to do is we want to know what our lane is, and we want to make sure that we run in that lane, because that's where we're going to be most effective. That's where we're going to be most fruitful. That's where we are going to make uh, our greatest contribution toward the advancement of God's kingdom. And so there are four things that I, I want us to look at in the text here. I want us to see, first of all, the problem. Secondly, the solution. Then I want to see the result of the solution. And then there are a couple of lessons that I want us to take away from this. But, but first of all, the problem. So here, here's a problem that arises. And we read here that there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So the problem is there's conflict now that's developed in the, the congregation, and it's over a perceived discrimination. Now, you've got this uh, description of, of the Hebrews and the Hellenist. So what are we talking about here? Well, first of all, know this. We're talking about, every, everybody we're talking about are Christians. They're believers in Jesus as the Messiah. And everyone we're talking about are uh, also Jews. But what we have here is a cultural distinction. That's what's being made. So uh, the Hellenists are the Jews that have really just embraced fully the Greek culture. They're still very much Jewish. They're uh, not just you know, ethnically Jewish, but they're religiously Jewish. But, but they have just identified with the Greek culture. So the Hebrews are the ones who have sort of refused to identify with, with the Greek culture. And there's tension between these people. Of course, the Hebrews feel that they're uh, superior to the Hellenist because they haven't been contaminated by, by Greek culture. Uh, they've, they're the purest. They, they've retained that, that purity. And the Hellenists, of course, see themselves as superior because oh, those Hebrews are so backward. You know, they, they can't get with the program. I mean, why don't they come, you know, why don't they uh, get with the times? And so this cultural tension 
exist within the Jewish world and has existed for a long time. But now this tension comes into the church. And so whether the discrimination was real or perceived, it was obviously, it, it had become a problem. And so the Hellenists felt that they were being discriminated against. They felt like they were being slighted. They felt like they weren't being attended to as well as the Hebrews were. And so they came to the apostles uh, with this complaint. And so this thing has become, as we see in the text, the thing has become a distraction to the, to the apostles. And it's expressed here when they said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So this is something that had fallen upon them. Now, uh, the serving of tables, the idea here is, um, well, it, it talks about the daily distribution. So, so with these widows, they would come and they would receive assistance kind of social assistance from the church. So it might have been they came to receive money. Uh, it might have been they, they came to receive goods, you know, food, things like that to help them, to take care of them. And, and the apostles sort of got stuck with the, the task of uh, serving these tables. So that was the problem. But the apostles recognize, wait a second, this is not, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. And now it wasn't because this wasn't an important thing. And that's something that I want us to understand. This was an important thing. It was a valid ministry. It was a legitimate ministry. It needed to be done. But the apostles recognized it wasn't their ministry. And, and this is why I'm uh, calling the message today, serving in your calling. Because the truth of the matter is, God has a, a calling for our lives. And, and that's like I was saying earlier, that's the lane. And, and I want to know, you know, what is my lane? Because if I'm, if I'm serving God in the calling that he's put on my life, then I'm going to be effective. I'm going to be fruitful. But if I'm just you know, sort of haphazardly or, or randomly running out and just trying to do this, that, and the other thing, uh, I, in the end, I'm going to be uh, unfruitful. I could even be counterproductive. I could, um, you know, waste a lot of time and energy. So the apostles, they understood this to be a distraction. So what is the solution? The solution is this, verse 3. They said, therefore... Seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the solution was find the people God has gifted and called and let them serve in that calling of taking care of the practical needs of the ministry. So what we have here probably, even though it doesn't say it so much in the text, we probably have the, um, the, the rise of the, what we call the, the deacon ministry. 
Now, later on in the New Testament, when Paul is writing to Timothy, and Paul is writing to Timothy to instruct him on um, just church life. Uh, I, I'm writing to you, Paul said, that you may know how to conduct yourself in uh, the house of God, the church of the living God. So, so Paul gives Timothy all of these instructions. And one of the things that he instructs Timothy regarding is the appointing of elders and deacons. So these are the two um, roles that, that kind of stand out in the local churches. Now, we have other ministries, of course. We have uh, apostles and prophets and evangelists pastors and teachers and so forth. But, but in the local congregations, you have this recognition of the elders and the deacons. And it's probably here that the deacon uh, ministry arises, as I said. But, but let me just clarify the distinction between those two things. The elders, which is a synonym for pastors, the elders are those who serve by meeting the spiritual needs of the church. So that's what the apostles are saying, right? It's not right for us to leave off the word of God and serve these tables. So what they're doing is they're identifying what their role is, what their task is as uh, the, the elders of the church. It's the oversight of the people spiritually. The deacons, on the other hand, are those who serve by meeting the practical needs of the church. So church has practical needs as well. And, and just as they had uh, in those days, they had the distribution center, in a sense, that was set up. They needed people to oversee it. And so this is the solution to the problem. The solution is you are to find seven men who are qualified and gifted to do this work, and you are to appoint them over the work. But notice the qualifications. The qualifications for these men are they must, first of all, be of good reputation. Secondly, they need to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And we need to understand that because uh, the deacon role, although it's not primarily the spiritual oversight of the, uh, of the people, a deacon is to be a spiritual man. Or you know, that uh, women can serve as, as deacons as well. So the person who's serving in the role of a deacon is to be a spiritual person, not just a person who, uh, well, you know, maybe they're just really good at this kind of thing, so we're going to stick them in there. there. There has to be the spiritual qualification, and that comes out here. And so they end up taking the advice of the apostles and they choose these seven men that are named here. And the two that stand out to us uh, are the first two, Stephen and Philip. Why do they stand out? Because the next two chapters are going to uh, talk about the extended ministry of Stephen and Philip. And this is where we will see the importance of the deacons being spiritual. Because the next chapter, Stephen is going to... Uh, preach the gospel to the Jewish ruling body, and he is going to give them a history lesson and call them to repentance at the end of it. And in the following chapter, Philip 
is going to be the evangelist who goes into Samaria with the gospel. So we see that although they were men who, who their primary task in the church was to take care of the practical needs, they were spiritual men who were gifted with the ministry of the gospel as well. But the brilliance in the decision that was made here um, is that every one of these men were either uh, Hellenistic Jews themselves or obviously in their family, there was a, there was a sympathy toward uh, Hellenistic culture because every one of them have Greek names. So they're, they're all um, believers. One of them is a proselyte, which means a convert. One of them is actually uh, a Gentile who became a Jew and now is a, um, a believer in Jesus the Messiah. So what we have here now is a, uh, the, the solution to the problem. So the solution is let's find the right people for the right job. Let's help people get in their lane so they can run effectively and they can do the thing that God called them to do so that others can do the thing that God called them to do. And so the result from this is, number one, the ministry to the widows was now covered. So everybody was happy. The, the chapter starts off on a kind of a sour note. There's this tension. There's this conflict. There's this grumbling that's going on. But now everybody's happy. The, the, the ministry to the widows is covered. Uh, secondly, the apostles can now focus on their calling of ministry and the prayer uh, prayer and the, and the ministry of the word. So they can get back to the task that God has appointed to them. And then as we go on to uh, the final verses there, verse seven, notice it says, then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples greatly multiplied in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So Going back to what I said initially, even though on the surface we might not see it, this is, a, this is an attempt by the enemy to stop the progress of the church. And based on verse 7, it seems like things were temporarily halted. But now, because they've come up with the, uh, the right solution. And you know, um, in... The, the, the scriptures, we have references to various gifts of the Spirit. And maybe you've read those uh, list of the gifts uh, in maybe Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12. If you've read the list of the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, there's, there's the gift that's called uh, the word of wisdom. And the word of wisdom is a gift that God gives that brings the, like the best possible solution to a problem. And, and it seems like here you have an exercising of the word of wisdom because and this was like the, the perfect answer. This was the, the, the solution to the problem. And we see that everything was resolved. Peace was restored and the advance of the gospel continued. The gospel advanced. Men and women were saved 
and the church grew. So what are some of the lessons that we can uh, take away from this? Well, first of all, I want to look at uh, the lesson to those who are called to the ministry of prayer and the word or that, that spiritual oversight, as we talked about, the elders, the, the pastors. And John Stott, one of my favorite commentators, he said this. He said, a vital principle is illustrated in this incident, which is of urgent importance to the church today. It is that God calls all his people to ministry, that he calls different people to different ministries, and that those called to prayer and the ministry of the word must on no account allow themselves to be distracted from their priorities. So the apostles, they got it right. They said, no, 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 this, we, we can't get distracted by this. Again, as I said earlier, not because it wasn't important, but because it wasn't their calling. So let's find the people that God has called to do this. So they, they got it right. They, they understood it. And this is a pertin, pertinent word to all who are pastoring churches today, especially as the senior or the lead or the, or the teaching pastor of the church, whatever, there's different ways people like to uh, define that today. But here's what we have to remember. Here's what I have to remember. That it is not our job to keep the church informed on the latest social and uh, political activity in the culture, nor is it our primary calling to engage in social work or activism. Now, I'm saying this for a very specific reason. There is a huge amount of pressure being put on pastors today to do this kind of stuff. And there's always something. <clears throat> In every season of, of the church's life, and you know, from generation to generation, there's always something that's happening out there in the culture that is, is, is tempting uh, pastors to be distracted. There's always something. And, and right now, there's a lot of temptation and a lot of pressure to just kind of jump into the thick of all of the uh, stuff that's happening in the culture. And pastors being, being tempted and, I think, falling to the temptation, getting sucked into uh, social activism and things like that. Now, now again, that, there's a place for that. But that's where you have to understand that you need to serve in your lane. You need to stay in your lane. For the pastor, we see what the pastor's lane is. Our call is to give ourselves entirely to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, there are a million causes out in the world today that are legitimate. They're good. And I know pastors who are so spread 
between trying to engage in all of these different causes that they've left off their main calling. And that's the problem. That's wrong. And, and that's where we have to guard ourselves. That's where, where I have to guard myself. My primary, primary calling, the, those who are in that position, as I'm saying, our primary calling is laid out right here very clearly. Prayer and the ministry of the word, which includes preaching the gospel, teaching the Bible, and counseling people personally from the scriptures. Pastors, this is our lane, and, and we need to stay in our lane. Because what we're doing, as, as Paul reminded the Ephesians, is that the, those that serve in that capacity, they do so to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So our, our options are, you know, I can forsake my primary role and go out, spread myself real thin, try to do all of this stuff, or I can focus on my primary role, equip all of you to do the thing that God has called you to do, and guess what's gonna happen? A lot more stuff's gonna get done. So that's, that's one of the, the huge lessons that I think we take away from this here. This passage has always, I think throughout my whole ministry life, has, has been one of those things that just, it, it recalibrates you. It just sets you back. And, and, you know, as you read it over and over again, as I've read it over the years, it's like, oh yeah, that, that's what we're supposed to be doing. It's just that, that reminder. And it's reminded me of that once again. Now, secondly... So I mentioned social work because in a sense, that's what these men that were appointed there, that's what they were doing. They were, as we've pointed out, they were taking care of the practical needs of God's people. It's referred to here as serving tables. They were distributing the material goods. They were giving assistance practically where that was needed. And, and that is a, uh, it is an absolutely valid um, ministry. There's obviously much social work that goes on um, outside the church, um, but there's things that happen inside the church as well that would be in a similar uh, kind of a category. And Christians are engaged in both. Uh, to quote Stott once again, he said, he said, both pastoral work and social work are Christian ministries. That is ways of serving God and his people. Both require spiritual people full of the spirit, as we read here, both require spiritual people to exercise them. So as we get equipped as we mature, as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, as uh, we are filled with the spirit and wisdom, God is going to take that and he is going to direct you to these different ministry opportunities that he brings along. Number one, to assist and help and bless the body of Christ 
But then number two, to reach out to the community. And in doing so, it's through the very efforts themselves that oftentimes the gospel is advancing because even though we might not be out there having an opportunity every time we're out there to actually give an evangelistic message, people know that we're doing this as believers, as Christians. They know that underneath it all, it's the love of Christ that is constraining us, and that starts to pave the way. Now, we live in a, a, a highly suspicious culture when it comes to uh, Christianity today, right, and the motives of Christians, and uh, there's, there's all kinds of negative press for the church today, right? But you know what we see over and over again? As God's people uh, who are filled with the spirit and wisdom, as they go out into the realm of, of social activity and as they serve out there, it's impactful. And, and it oftentimes causes people who are otherwise skeptical about the church, it causes them to rethink everything because they have a stereotyped view of you and me. They, they think a certain way about us. And they think that, um, you know, we don't care about that kind of stuff. Um, we're just interested in our own little thing. You know, they, uh, all different kinds of things they think. Um, but when you show up as a believer in Jesus to give relief and to help out at a distribution center, or you go out into the community and you give your time to minister to uh, the poor, or you go out to the, the, the children who maybe are from single parent families or something like that, and you, you, know, you go engage with them and you help them, or you know, just the, the myriad of things that we can be involved in, this is impactful. And so my point is, as, as Stott made here, um, we have to see that this is, this is valid ministry as well. And God calls people to these kinds of things. And there's the context of the church. There's the context of the world. The question is, what has God called you to? And that's the thing that we want to make sure that either we know or we're in the process of discovering. What is God's call? Because I am firmly convinced that all believers have some gift from God and some area of service to do for him. Everyone who is a believer has that. But there's also the need for character development or spiritual maturity. And I want to go back to what the apostles said in their instruction. Remember, they said, find men who are qualified. This is the qualification, good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom. So in other words, they didn't say, hey, just give this job to somebody else because we can't do it. Doesn't matter who, just you know, find somebody that'll come out here and pass out the bread. That wasn't what they said. No, find people who are spiritual. Find people who are mature. Find people who are gifted by the Lord for this and put them in it. 
And you see, that's the thing. I mean, I'm all for, um, you know, calling people to use their gifts. I'm, I'm all for reminding all of us that we all have been gifted by the Lord. But I also want to take into consideration that there's a certain qualification for that. And so where we start is with what we might call character development. And that character development is really just growing into maturity in our faith in Jesus. And so as we grow in him, as we're seeking him, as we're um, living in obedience to him, as we're being transformed uh, through the influence of his word in our lives, and, and as our, our, our character is becoming uh, that where there's a good reputation and there's a sense that the spirit uh, is upon this person, then those, those are the people that then we look to see, okay, what does God have for you by way of service? So often the, the problems that arise in churches, quite frankly, especially in the more internal aspects of the church are due to the fact that there's not spiritual maturity in people's lives and they are put in position simply because we need somebody there and this person's available, so let's just stick them in there. I've made that mistake. And so a big lesson here is that we don't want to do that. We want to remember that God wants to develop our character he wants us to become spiritual men and women filled with the spirit and wisdom. So let's seek to grow and mature in our faith to get to know the Lord. And the better you get to know the Lord, the more you will know what your lane is Remember the quote I gave you, know your Lord, know your lane. <clears throat> that, that's really the order. Know your Lord, know your lane. As, as I grow in the Lord, the Lord's gonna, he's gonna define my lane for me. And then as I get in that lane and as I serve there, that's where I'm going to be effective. That's where I'm going to be a blessing. And as we all serve the Lord in our lane, the gospel will go forth. The gospel will go forth. Men and women will come to the Lord. The church will advance as God intends, and the devil's efforts will be thwarted. So this is a way to just uh, thwart the effort of the enemy. Let's not get distracted but let's focus on the thing that God has called us to do. And, and let me just say this as we close. Again, I'm gonna just emphasize, you know, we got a new year here. And I wanna just look more generally at distractions, right? Because not, not just distractions from our specific calling, but you know, we are surrounded by distractions. And the biggest distraction is that one that is going to prevent you from growing 
closer to Christ like he wants you to in this year to come. And whatever that is or whatever those things are, let's just make a commitment to to set that stuff aside. Because that's one way the enemy slows down the, the progress of the church is by getting God's people distracted with every other thing. It's a, it's a strategy that he's employed from the very beginning. Remember, Jesus told the parable of the, of the soil, the seeds fell upon the soil. You remember that third seed, perhaps, where there was the, uh, the seed that, that sprang up, um, but it never really brought forth fruit. Why? Because it was choked out. It fell among the thorns, and it got choked out. And Jesus said, in in response to the question, what does that mean? Jesus said, this is the person who hears the word of God, but the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things, they choke out the seed, and it never really brings forth the fruit that God intended. God help us to not have that happen. But those are the distractions those are the, those things, the cares of this life. Cares of this life aren't bad things. They're just the cares of this life. I'm just overly concerned about the things of this life to the neglect of my spiritual life. The deceitfulness of riches, thinking I need more money. And I don't have time to give myself to spiritual things because I've got to make more money. That's a trap that'll choke out And then just that more general category of the desire for other things. Just other things rather than the things of the Spirit. So let's focus on the things of the Spirit. And as we do that, we will avoid the distractions of the enemy and we will be fruitful. And we will see the kingdom advance in our lives and in, in and through our fellowship and out beyond into uh, our community. So Lord, help us to take away uh, from our study today the lessons that you have for us, Lord. And, and Lord, really help us to Get freed up from distraction. Here we are, Lord, with a new year, a new opportunity. And help us to lay aside the sin and the things that so easily ensnare us. Help us to run with endurance. And help us, Lord, to run in our lane. Help us to know what our calling is and help us to faithfully serve in that. And Lord, I I just pray to you for everyone here today, everyone listening, Lord, everyone has a calling. Would you just remind each person of that? And Lord, would you uh, begin to give clarity for those who lack clarity in regard to that calling? For those who know their calling, Lord, give further confirmation if needed. Lord, help us. Help us to know our lane and to know our Lord. 
in 2018. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.